Good morning. So today's reading is from Psalm 25, verse 1 to 22, and it's uh, page 429 in the Hardback Bibles. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. But shame will come to those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. For the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who, then, are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity, and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Guide my life and rescue me and do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope, Lord, is in you. Deliver, O Israel, O God, from all their troubles. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. This is the part where you, a man, my life. Hey, so this is the part where you whisper to your friend, who is that guy? Okay. <laughs> my name is Ryan. Um, I've been with Free City probably like three and a half, almost four years now. It's crazy. Um, we were supposed to be here a few uh, months, and we've been here this long because of the great gospel centrality that is found in this church. So I'm a city group leader, uh, David City Group, Thursday nights. Sign up in the back, please. Uh, We'd love to have you there. Um, And this morning, it's going to be my pleasure to bring you um, the Word of God in Psalm 25. So Psalm 25, as we're going to go through this, um, it's it's not one of those, like, big psalms, right? It's, it's, not, it's not like Billboard Top 100 psalms, right? This is not the psalm where you're like, all right, you know, David's up there playing his lyre and you're calling out favorites. Like that's probably going to be you going to Psalm 103, right? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Like that's the psalm we're going to be yelling because that's one of those high, high ones, right? It's not the low ones, right? If, if you're kind of like the, the goth scene, the little down, you're going to call out like Psalm 45, Verse 5, where it says, why are you so downcast, O my soul? And why is there so much turmoil within me? No, rather, this is a psalm that is for people who live in this thing called ordinary time. It's not too high, it's not too low. It's actually 
it's, it's a psalm of sanctification, and we're going to go through that. So when I, I worked as a pastor for 10 plus years, uh, and, and the church I worked in was a very liturgical church. And that means they followed a church calendar that looked something like this. Ooh, a circle. Um, in it, you have, uh, you have the, the, the purple. It's purple. I don't think you see the colors there. But purple and white, those are like the high holy days. The purple are either Advent or Easter, leading up to Easter. And then there's the season of Easter, which we're technically in right now, being the week after Easter. And then there's uh, the Epiphany Sunday, which is when we celebrate when the three wise men came and things like that. But a majority of the year is spent in that green zone, which is called ordinary time. And they will even decorate the church a different way based on the colors of the, the, the circle there. And it's this idea that we have these great church holidays that we celebrate. We have the Easters, right? We were, literally last week we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Big deal. We have, we have uh, Christmas where we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us, literally coming to earth to rescue our souls. And we prepare for those by Advent where we get our minds read that, that we have a need for God to come into the world and then He comes at Christmas. We prepare our, our hearts that, that we're going to go through a time of despair because we're leading up to the death of Jesus. But then once Easter comes, there's only celebration for the rest of our days, right? We have these celebrations. And then we get like past that Easter Sunday and then we say, what now? What do we do now? And so Psalm 25 is for that. Psalm 25, just to give you a little background in our intro, it's an acrostic psalm. It literally means that each, uh, each stanza, each verse has a letter associated with, with that in the Hebrew alphabet, uh, alphabet. There we go. Alphabet. And it, it, it literally, it, it's just this, hey, it happened to work out. There's really no overarching theme with the letters, and so we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on that. But you might see a footnote at the, the bottom of your Bible that says, it's an acrostic psalm. Um, it's a very, what it definitely is, it's a very personal prayer. And it's a stream of consciousness prayer. And we're going to go through it like a stream of consciousness prayer. So to understand stream of consciousness, it's this idea that as I'm speaking and as I'm praying, things pop into my mind and I say them. And, and what I'm saying reminds me to think of something else and then I say that and then I say that. This is a prayer where David is setting up ways that in ordinary normal time, not the high highs or the low lows, that we can have spiritual momentum that is sanctifying. We're going to talk a lot about sanctification this morning, which is if we are rescued in Jesus, there are times in our lives where we don't feel him all the time. And that is God working in us this wonderful sanctification that we can really just, just get to the change and the transformation that is the gospel. So we're going to talk about that this morning. Um, so here's what, what I'm going to say. Uh, when I was growing up, I watched this show called Seinfeld. Anybody Seinfeld people? Okay, so somebody shot me down there. Uh, so Seinfeld, um, Seinfeld, uh, one of the famous episodes had uh, Seinfeld has a friend. Jerry Seinfeld has a friend named George. George has a dad named Frank, and Frank invented this. And Kramer, I believe, invented this holiday called Festivus. Right. So Festivus is for those who aren't celebrating Christmas, aren't celebrating Hanukkah, um, and and the phrase was a Festivus for the rest of us. 
So Psalm 25, a psalm for the rest of us. They don't get any better. Please just laugh. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you have... um, God, in your word is the, the sufficiency for all that we actually need. In times of deep despair, you, you have something for us. In, in, in times of, of high uh, praise and adulation, you have something for us. And in times where we're going through ordinary life, the most, the, 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 the most part of our life, that you are actively present there. God, would you just remind us of that this morning, that even when we don't feel you, even when we're feeling ordinary, not extraordinary, that you are a God that is present with us. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So, this is what we're going to do. As we go through Psalm 25, um, if you take notes, I'm going to encourage you to do this. There will be on the screen, there's seven different breakups that we're going to do as we do this, this stream of consciousness thing. They'll be on the screen. Take Take that. Um, there, there is, um, so there's seven sections. There's five themes, and it's really to remind us who God is, and that is going to be that God is a savior, God is a protector, God is a teacher, God is forgiving, and God is love. So those are five things that we really remind ourselves at this time. And if you look at the screen, there's two rhythms that are constantly in this psalm, and we're going to talk about this a lot. So there's petition and praise. So in the prayer of David, he is petitioning God for something, which then leads him to praise God for what he's done, and then that leads him to then petition or confess something back to God, and this is back and forth. And we're really wanting to set up a pattern for us to follow if we ever get to that place in our life, and some of you are probably there at this very moment because it comes and goes, where you say, hey, I'm really not feeling God right now. If this is for the people who, when I ask, hey, how are you doing, you say, I'm fine. Okay? So are we good with this? Let's do this. Let's rock it out. Section one, we're going to look at verses one through three. This is God saves and I will not be shamed. So to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Look at that verse one. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And so positionally, we want to look at this psalm. This is not like, as we talked about Psalm 45, which is, why are you so downcast, O my soul? This is for somebody who maybe is just going through life not feeling God, and you're right here, okay? So positionally, we're going to say, okay, God, I think you have the answers. We're not going to go through every verse like this, but I want to get that as a mindset of where we're starting with this prayer. God, if you are there, I'm I'm actually just looking up to you. I'm actually looking for answers. Oh, God, it is in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let my, not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. So verse 1 and 2 are clearly uh, claim the name of God is, so it says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. That Lord, capital L-O-R-D in your Bible, it's going to be the Yahweh, right? The covenant name of God. So I lift up my soul. And then he says something very cool, right? He says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, so Yahweh, I'm going to look up to you. But then in verse 2, he says, O my God, which is God, the the general term for God is Elohim, if you've ever heard that that before, and that's kind of the the small g God, and then, but they kind of change it to a personal, right, this is my God, Elohe, okay? So go with me, just bear with me here. Yahweh, the Lord God, 
is my God. What if in our prayers we started out with bold confidence that the God that we're praying to is actually our God? I think power would happen in our lives like we would never believe. That if we really believe that the God I'm speaking to, the source, right? You know, the, the, I'm spiritual, so I'm speaking to the, the, my source, my, my creator. If we really believe that that was the one true God, that was my God. What kind of power would happen? David's starting this psalm of ordinary time with power. It says, in, in this prayer, I don't want a God, I don't want a reviver, I want my God here. I want the one who's sticking up for me. I want the one who made that rock go into Goliath's face. That's the God I want. I want the God that has power. Have you ever said this phrase, God, if you're real, and then fill in the blank? God, if you're really there, I need you in this. This is what David is crying out. I'm not feeling you right now. God, if you're real, I need to feel that. It's only you that can save. I want you to show up here. I want you to be present, God. I can't feel you. I know that in my strength, my enemies can triumph over me, but they can never triumph over you. This is what David's praying. This is the start of David's prayer, that God saves, and because he's my God, and he's the one true God, I'm not going to be shamed. I'm not going to be put to shame. Section two, God teaches and forgives me. Teach and forgive me. Look at verse 4. Make known your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Lead me in your truths and teach me. You are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. They have been from old. As we continue in this prayer, David moves from God, I need your help, to God, show me your ways. If you read in commentaries about this passage, it's actually a very strange movement if we're not in a stream of consciousness prayer. It's this very weird, like he's saying, God, show up, I I don't want to be put to shame, and then all of a sudden he just switches right to something that could be a completely different psalm. God, now show me your ways. It's almost as if David realizes there's a connection here to God showing up and us being devoted to his ways. It's almost as if there's a connection there. He's saying, God, I need your help in the first section. Now it's God, show me your ways so I can be like you. It's because our goal in sanctification is not for God just to rescue us and then we remain the same, but it's rather God to transform us. So David begins this, this, these introductory uh, stanzas here with saying, God, I don't want you to fix things. I want you to fix me. I want you to transform me. And that process is called sanctification. Bless you. Verse 7, Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to the steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. David's prayer in verses 4 through 6 direct verse 7 to come to mind. And this is where, I know I'm just kind of reading right now, this is where we're going to spend a lot of our time. Is what does, as you and I are praying God to help us, what does that spur up within us? 
And I want to I contend this this morning, and we're going to spend a lot of time on this because David repeats this theme throughout the entire psalm, is that when we meditate on the goodness of God, if the gospel is working in us, it shows us where you and I in our flesh fall short. If I am to think just one day about how good and holy and wonderful God is, then at some point, if the gospel is rooted within me, I'm going to start to think how horrible and worthless I am in my flesh. And David's going to do this over and over again. It's actually going to get bigger. It's going to get more dramatic as we continue on. So in in verse 4 through 6, he's saying, God, teach me your way. Show me who you are. I want to live in your holiness. And then he says in 7, but don't remember my sins, please. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness. David, hundreds of years before a Savior of Jesus was ever entered, he's saying, God, you're good because you rescue. Forgive me. I need a forgiver. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Have you ever thought, why do we do things like city groups or life transformation groups or why some of you are, are, are in Young Life or Crew or NAVS? Or, have you ever wondered why, why we do this? Is it to, to kind of just be better people? The real gospel-centered reason of why we do things like city groups and why we do things like life transformation groups is because we don't want to become better people. We want to become sanctified and holy people. We want a regular rhythm in our lives that goes to the heart of, I want to read the Scripture. I want to seek God. I want confession to naturally pour out when I find out who the holiness of God is. And then I want to repent, and then I want to repeat. Like, that is a natural progression in our lives if we are trying to push deep into sanctification in Jesus. That is sanctification. It's these many Easter's in our lives where we find sin, confess sin, die to sin, and watch Jesus raise that part of our life back from the dead. That is a power that is not just meant for one Sunday a year, but rather a regular rhythm in your city groups, in your life transformation groups, in your life. As we remind ourselves that, that God is a saving God, that God teaches us, that He forgives us, as we remind ourselves in those times where we don't feel it, those kind of things spur up in us where we say, God, I know right now you're teaching me something, so I want to meditate on you. God, as I I meditate on you, I don't feel you now, but I know there's sin in my life. I want to start confessing that. This is a big deal. A big deal that leads normal Christians in ordinary time to extraordinary Christians that are going through life with power. A natural outpouring of, uh, of God's forgiveness as we meditate on God's forgiveness is praise. So as we are looking to God to forgive and forgive and forgive, now we're saying thank you to God. So, second, sec, or third section is this, verses 8-11. through 11, God is the teacher and He forgives me. 
So remember verse 7, remember not my sins of, the youth, uh, of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, O Lord, remember me for the sake of your goodness. That next verse, as he's remembering how good God is, and now we're swinging from petition and we're swinging over to praise. Look at verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord. For He instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble His way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast, and lo- uh, are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. David is praising God for the standard by which forgiveness is poured out. He's saying, good and upright are you, O God. Thank you for being good and upright and leading the humble in the right way. Verse 9, that all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those, okay, so he's saying who gets this? Those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. So David is praising God that he has made a way for people to be saved. But then in verse 11, he's convicted once again. He's saying for those who keep your testimonies and those who follow you, And then look at verse 11. But for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Does the mercy and goodness of God cause you to pray, confess, repent, repeat? Is that active in your life? As you meditate on God's goodness and faithfulness, are you constantly going to God as your source for renewal. That God, I know there's things in my life I confess to you. God, I know there's things in my life I need to give to you. And I, I don't want to ever do those again. I want to repent of that. I want to bring my group into this. People that will hold me accountable. God, would you bring that to me? And now can I go back again and just praise you for your forgiveness and let's do it all again because I want to be eradicated of sin. Is that the cry of our heart? It's very important that you and I, in our lives, that we actively... I was told when I preach I don't go over to this side a lot, so I'm going to come over to you guys, okay? I can't stand in the middle. I'm trying. Are we actively looking for God to renew our lives, or are you and I banking on momentum from highs to get us to the next high? In order for the Gospel to continually transform our lives... So that when you're 18 years old, you're not making the same mistakes as when you were 38 years old or 48 years old. The only way to do that is not just to wait for the high highs to come, but is a constant renewal of the gospel in your life on a daily basis. In regular time, when there's projects and finals and work things and you have 20 million kids in your house. I only have three, but it feels like more. That's what gospel sanctification is. In the middle of everything, the most important thing is that the gospel is penetrating into those spots in your life that nobody knows about. In ordinary time, I get it. We can all get excited for Easter Sunday. Ethan's going to play the best set ever, right? It's going to be great. Casey's going to preach like, a, a, like just a banging sermon, and we're just going to get, all get saved. It's great. But here's the question. 
What's happening this week? Right? It's ordinary week. What are we doing with it? What am I doing with it? Are we banking on momentum from highs to uh, to carry us to our next spiritual high, or are we creating momentum in our lives by in ordinary time reminding ourselves that God is teaching us right in this very moment? God is changing us right in this very moment. In this very moment, if I meditate on the goodness of God, sin is going to come to mind that God wants to eradicate from my life. How you doing? I'm fine. Are you meditating on God's goodness? David just starts his psalm off with, God, you're good. I look to you for my help. I Teach me your way. Show me this. And what happens is sin just naturally comes out confessing. Next section, God teaches those God loves. So now we're going to get from these kind of big concepts over there. God, I need you. God, you're good. God, you are, uh, you're, you're, I need your forgiveness in my life. And now it's, who gets it? God teaches those God loves. Verse 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will, him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being. His offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord, we meditated on this part uh, at the end of our our worship time this morning. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. And He makes known to them His covenant. That word covenant is the the Hasid, right? That's that, that Abrahamic covenant with God. That's that covenant that says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Like, I'm I'm with you. And Abraham, a man making a covenant with God, Abraham could bring nothing to the table. And this is God saying, hey, I'll handle your part too. Like this is such a big deal that David is saying truths about God that speak to our hearts. That in Him, His soul shall abide in well-being and His offspring shall inherit the land. He's giving us promises for a good life. This is something that David never really realized. David in his time as king of Israel only had about seven or so years of peace. And at the end of his kingdom, his his family literally tore itself apart. So David never saw this goodness, but he saw a promise from God that he prophesied to all people that, that if you seek the Lord, if you fear the Lord... He's going to instruct your ways. His soul, your soul shall abide in well-being. Your offspring shall inherit the land. That God reserves friendship for those who fear Him. And make, He makes known to them His never-leaving, always-and-forever covenant. Truths about God speak to our heart that God is ever-working in our lives. This is saying simply this, that if our hearts, in, our, in that time of I'm not feeling God, if we would say, God, I want to position my heart to just love you. I want to, I want to meditate on your promises. I want to have affection to you, towards you. That's when God brings out those promises. And hey, I'm still here. 
uh, a lady that's in this room right now is Barb Taylor. You know, if you haven't met Barb Taylor, you need to meet Barb Taylor. Who knows Barb Taylor? Anybody? Okay. Goodness, you need to know Barb Taylor. Okay. Barb, I'm sorry about this. <laughs> Did not warn her about this. Uh, so when I was 16 years old, uh, I went on this, or 17 years old, I went on this retreat. Um, and it's actually part of my salvation story, but my, uh, my good friend Barb Taylor was there as an adult leader. And um, she taught this kind of, this, this side group about how to hear from God. Do you remember this, Barb? You've taught it many times. Do you remember me being there? Okay. <laughs> she taught this side group session on how to hear from God. And I'm, I'm sitting there and, and I had like, I had experience with God. I grew up in the church, but like I was completely rejecting God. But here's this lady that was going to tell me how I can hear from God. And she kind of took me through this picture, which is great. Barb, you should just do this for the whole group at one point. Uh, it's really good. Um, but one of the things she said was, and it was great, as I'm sitting there, and she says, and she kind of takes you through this, this, this picture, and you're sitting next to God, and you're sitting next to Jesus, and you're saying, what is he saying to you? And I was like, I don't know. She says, well, let me tell some things in Scripture that it says to you. It says that you're, you're worth something. You're good. And she says, if you hear something other than that, you're not hearing from God right now. To a 17-year-old kid who, who, who thought that my life choices has, had excluded me from God altogether, right? And then I'm sitting in this room where this, this wonderful woman of God is telling me that God would never exclude me. That's power. And all it took was for me to sit in a room and meditate on God wanting to speak to His child. In times of pain, in times of despair, and in times of feeling nothing, feeling numb, if we could meditate on the goodness of who God is, then you and I might hear things like, I have a plan for you. I've got you. I have healing for your sin." And then at times where we hear things that say, you got no future, you have nothing, you're always going to be this way, we say, wait a second, the goodness of God would never say that to me. The goodness of God would never say that to me. So who is the man that fears the Lord? Him. Will God instruct in the ways that he should choose? His soul shall abide in well-being, and the offspring shall inherit the land. There is a promise for those. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and makes known him the covenant. And then we move again until David's kind of cycle back. You feel the promises of God, but now you need a God who's really going to forgive you this time. And so then David in his next session says, I need God, I need you to save and forgive me. This is for me, God. No, I get that you've made promises with other people, right? Ryan, I heard you tell this story about how, how you kind of heard from God, but no, 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 you need to hear about my story. This is for you, right? This is your section. This is the next iteration of this. Mine eyes are ever towards the Lord. He will pluck my feet out of the net. That is a rescue from God. 
Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my afflictions and my trouble and forgive all my sin. We have now reached the most uncomfortable of all parts of ordinary time, of sanctification. And it's when we're in that desperate mode. We've meditated on the goodness of God. We've meditated on all of that, and it's not working. I'm not feeling Him yet. Right? And I have those friends who say, hey, you should just pray more. It's liars. Because you want to pray. You want to remind yourself of all this kind of thing. You want to continually remind yourself of all these things. The most uncomfortable part is here. Look at verse 17. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. They bring me out. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my troubles and forgive all my sins. God, my troubles in my heart, they're enlarged. They're getting bigger. They're not getting smaller. And in verse 16, he even starts out with says, Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. I have the most wonderful beautiful daughter named Hannah. If you haven't met Hannah, you need to meet Hannah. I'm just saying. She's not going to teach you how to talk to God quite yet, but she's pretty. Um, so Hannah, um, if, you, if you're into the Enneagram, you're not supposed to type your kids, but she's a four. <laughs> half the room laughs. Half the room just read a book about Enneagram. Uh, Enneagram type 4 is kind of big emotions, right? High emotions. My dad's in the room. He's a 4 too. Uh, I'm typing everybody today. Uh, so I, I have the tendency, just being who I am, innate, uh, to say things, to say things to my daughter, okay? And, and, and sometimes I say the wrong thing. Most of the times I say the right thing, but I say it the wrong way. Okay, girls are all nodding. Yes, yes. Uh, my wife is in the back. She's nodding at me too. Uh, and so this one day, we're having breakfast for dinner. It's a great day. And I'm like talking to Hannah. Hey, how's it going? And Hannah did something. I don't even remember what it was. Okay? And I said, Hannah, don't do that. But I didn't say it like that, probably. And then all of a sudden, my wonderful, beautiful, just awesome daughter just starts bursting into tears. And I was like, whoa. And Cassie's in the kitchen. She's like, what's going on? I was like, I have no clue. Hannah, why are you crying? She looks at me and she says, I don't know. I don't have the emotional depth for that, all right? (laughs) I can't give language to that. David is probably a four because he gets emotional. So this is what he says. I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Do you realize what kind of problems are happening with God? You're not talking to me. God, I can't. I'm reading the Scripture. Nothing. Do you realize the pain in all of this? Consider my affliction. Are you even there? This is an uncomfortable, lonely spot. It's a spot that you'll have friends 
that really don't need to tell you what to do, but need to sit shiva with you. They need to sit around a room and just be with you. Because this is a spot that all of the greats of God, including every single person in this room, if you follow Jesus, have been or will be in. This is a spot of despair and distress where you say, God, are you there? My troubles are getting so big and I just can't feel you. This is the spot that David was in in Psalm 13 where he says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? This is a real spot that can just come in ordinary time when as we go through these reminders, we don't necessarily feel God. And so David's cry is that last line on, on, on verse 18. It says, forgive all my sins if I've done something wrong. It's a tough spot. In sanctification, God uses the ordinary time as a holding place to develop fire-tested people. I say fire-tested people because I have a friend. My friend's name is Adam. He's in the room. You should meet Adam, right? Uh, Adam's right there. Adam is a a ceramics teacher. He has a a master's degree in ceramics. Pretty cool thing to have. And uh, I, I texted him the other day, and I said, hey, I know very little about pottery. If I uh, make a pot and don't let it sit and just put it straight into the fire, what happens? And Adam directly says to me, it explodes. <laughs> so what happens is, uh, and Adam will explain it better, uh, it's the, 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 the water in the, the H2O in the pot expands the gas way too fast, and it's Right? So here's the thing. If we come off of, of Easter Sunday, the high, high, and we just say, all right, God, I'm ready for arrival. <laughs> God uses ordinary time in your and my life so that when it's that next challenge in our life, that next moment that's going to lead to the high moment, you and I can go in the fire with resilience. And here's the thing. Adam also said this to me after he found out I was going to use him in a sermon. He said this, until that pot is in the fire, it is completely pliable and moldable still. So you may think you've arrived at Easter Sunday, and you may think that, hey, as, as, as a Christian who accepts the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I'm ready for this. Oh, but God's still molding you. That's sanctification. That's what it is. Next point, God saves me from my enemies and myself, and I will not be ashamed. Verse 19. Consider how many are my foes, and with what violent hatred they hate me. So I don't know about you, but I kind of read 18 and 19 as a little bit of, uh, of David continuing this excuse mindset. So 18 says this, consider my affliction and my troubles and forgive my sins. And then he kind of says this in, in my mind. And really, God, can you just, can you get these guys off my back? Because they're the real reason I'm sinning. Anybody else done that? <laughs> And with what violent hatred they hate me. God, I understand that you're looking at me right now, but, but can you really look at them? Because they're the ones messing up. 
I had, I was driving into Kansas City yesterday and I had a, a police car right behind my car the whole time. And I'm like cruise controlling at 70, right? That's what it is. Speed limit 75, I'm cruise controlling at 70. I don't want this guy pulling me over. Uh, and then these guys, everybody's passing me and then this, the cop car is just still following me. I'm like, why are you still following me? Don't you see the other people around me? God, why are you still not talking to me? Don't you see how messed up everybody else's life is? Don't you think out of any of these people that I'm mentioning that I'm the one you should be talking to? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul gets to the perfect heart of this argument. This is what he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And all of God's people who have a righteous self-righteousness in them say, Amen. Good. I don't want any of those crazy people in heaven with me. David's at that point. He's saying, look at all these people. They're so much worse off than I And then Paul gets to the heart of everything and he says, next verse, and such were some of you. Hmm. Right? I'm about to get preaching here. But you were washed and you were what? Sanctified. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And then David says in verse 20, he says this, O God, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I will wait for you. It says this instant uh, instant. Uh, Accountability came to David when he said, but God, remember my, remember my foes. Remember all these reasons why I'm sinning. And he says, oh, but guard me. Guard me from that. Guard my soul and deliver me. I need you to deliver me right now. Let not me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me. I will wait for you. I will wait for you. I will wait for you. Do you have that resolve? This morning, do you have that resolve to wait for the Lord? In our series in Exodus, have you been convicted that you, uh, or convicted that you are not faithful at all times? Like this series on Exodus that we've been going through, like has just been. I used to think like, oh, those Israelites are stupid, and now I'm like, oh, I'm really stupid. <laughs> you like the weak-hearted Israelites? who any sign of trouble or any absence of God's presence runs so fast from the salvation that He brought to them? And this is, this is the best part. Next point, that God saves His people. Verse 22, last verse of this psalm. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all His troubles. God's desire is to save His people. God's desire is to save His people who are going through ordinary time, who might not feel Him, but it is a God who says, I got this. As we close out this morning, um, when, I was, when I was about 23 years old, I, uh, part of the reason I got mad yesterday with the cop following me is because I got pulled over by a cop. 
And I had a series of being pulled over by cops prior to that. And I had apparently, I lived in Florida at the time, I had a suspended license in Kansas. Didn't know that because I didn't pay a ticket. You're supposed to do that. So the cop pulls me over and he, uh, he says, hey, um, did you know your license was suspended? I'm like, hey, no. It's news to me. Uh, he says, okay, here's what we get. we're going to release you on your own recognizance, um, but make sure you get your license taken care of and pay this ticket. It's great. So later that night, um, I, I go back to my house, and uh, I realized I, I needed to get something at Walmart, okay? And so I was like, oh, well, Walmart's five-minute drive down the road. Nobody's going to pull me over. It's midnight. I needed to get something. And I get pulled over again. So in the state of Florida, and I think everywhere, there's a difference between knowingly driving on a suspended license and unknowingly driving on a suspended license. So that first ticket was unknowingly. That's a quick fine. The second ticket is jail time. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for that. Um, So I am, I'm 22 years old. I uh, recently took a job as a youth pastor in Florida. Been there about six months. Didn't realize I had a suspended license, and now I'm about to become a Florida man story. (laughs) I did it. All right. So I kind of cry to the guy, right? I'm like, listen, I can't do this. I'm a pastor. This is what's going on. And so uh, he says, all right, man, listen, I'm not going to take you in tonight, um, mainly because he had a small car and I was a big guy, so I think I was going to fit in that car. Um, He said, I'm going to give you a summons to appear. Okay, summons to appear. Great. Got to go to court. Got to deal with it down the road. And so one of the guys that went to the church I w- uh, uh, w- was a state's attorney, right? He worked for the state's attorney's office. He's actually an attorney. And so I go into him the next morning of Sunday. I go to him. I say, hey, I really need you to help me with this. And he's like, what were you doing? I'm like, that's not the question right now. The question is, how do I not have to serve jail time? Because uh, in any court like that, they go, hey, make sure you tuck your shirt in, take your hats off, all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, there should be a saving.